this evening we will be looking at the next portion of the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 10, verses 1 to 16. Uh, chapter uh, 10, verses uh, 13 to 16 is fairly straightforward. It is where Jesus brings the little children are brought to him. There's a beautiful passage where he speaks of the little children. The, a more difficult passage, and uh, one that is of, of great importance nonetheless, is found in chapter 10, verses 1 to 12, which deals with the reality of marriage, with the idea of the indissolubility of marriage, and the great call which the Lord gives to those who have that tremendous vocation of being married. The Lord goes right back to the law at the very beginning of time, where we hear of male and female, he created them. And he refers back to Genesis for the foundations of the theology of marriage, which much later on, Pope John Paul II developed in his great theology of the body. Later on in the Old Testament, we have in chapter 24 of the book of Deuteronomy, a portion which relates to an element of marriage. And in this portion of the Torah, of the sacred writings uh, of the, the Jewish people, uh, all of which, of course, speak to us of the law of Moses, we hear it said that when a person, a, pers a man takes uh, a woman to be his wife, he may divorce her. There, and it gives certain elements of how that may be done, <clears throat> some of the consequences of it. I, if you want more detail on that, Deuteronomy chapter 24, the first few verses. There was a great dis dispute and debate among the Jewish people about this passage. Uh, and it became a matter of not whether or not divorce and remarriage was possible, because obviously Moses was saying that it was. And he was giving instructions, assuming it to be possible. But the question was, what was necessary to justify divorce, which would allow for remarriage? The stricter school said that it had to be something like adultery. It had to be something very serious. The more liberal school, you might say, said that it could be almost anything that would allow a person legitimately, a husband, to divorce his wife. It's interesting, in the Jewish tradition, a wife could not divorce her husband so easily. But in the more in the Greek tradition, there was a bit more of that. But a husband could divorce his wife and marry again. So there was a dispute about that question. Uh, and that was the norm at the time of Jesus. Divorce and remarriage were allowed according to the law of Moses. It is in that context that we hear the voice of Christ in today's passage. And so let us now prepare ourselves to uh, reflect upon, to pray, and to ask God's guidance for us as we hear his holy word. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us let go of all those things within our own hearts which burden us and weigh us down. All those distractions that prevent us from being attentive to God and to one another. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Let us be conscious, especially in this penitential time of Lent, of those things within our own hearts, those sins which 
block the pathway to our hearts. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy in me, a sinner. Help me, O Lord, to hear your word and not to be caught up in my own sins, which make me unable to hear the voice of God within my own heart and within the sacred scriptures. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy in me, a sinner. As we hear these words of the gospel that speak to us of the Lord Jesus and his will for each one of us as disciples, let us be attentive to his word and pray the Holy Spirit to guide us so that we may hear his word and may live it faithfully. Come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and enkindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, and we shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And he left there and went to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again, and again, as his custom was, he taught them. And the Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to put her away. But Jesus said to them, For your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, saw it he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands upon them. Let's prayerfully reflect upon this passage of sacred scripture, the word of the Lord, the gospel of Mark, and ask, what does it say to my head, my heart, and my hands, that I may know the Lord more fully, may love the Lord more truly, may serve the Lord more faithfully?
And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered to him again. And again, as his custom was, he taught them. He's moving on now from the transfiguration to the healing and then the teaching at the bottom of the hill as he began to teach the people. And now he moves on and he's heading for Judea. This is where he will encounter the cross and go through that to the resurrection. He's beginning to turn, to move towards Judea, away from the days of Galilee, where he could do his teaching and miracles and have crowds gather around him. He's moving towards the climax of his mission on earth. You know, we sometimes reflect upon Matthew, Mark, and Luke, these three synoptic gospels, and forget the fact that most of each one of them is made up of the final week or so of the life of the Lord. Somebody once described the gospels as passion narratives with a prologue. And the prologue is the middle part, the teaching, and in Matthew and Luke, but not in Mark, we also have an infancy narrative about the childhood of Jesus, which is a kind of a prologue. But they focus on what happened in Judea as he turned towards that. In the Gospel of Luke, this is much more powerfully expressed because Luke lays out the Gospel upon a map and we see Jesus advancing towards Jerusalem, Jerusalem, he's on his way. And then at the end, after the suffering, death, and resurrection, he moves off to Rome in the Acts of the Apostles. That's where the apostles spread his word. He goes through the whole of the Mediterranean, through the mission and ministry of the apostles. Matthew, of course, mainly organizes things thematically in five great sections of the teachings of the Lord. Mark the shortest of the Gospels, begins, speaks of the Lord, does not go into his infancy, but speaks of his miracles and his encounter with people, how they experience the power of his presence. But then, after the glory of the transfiguration and the teaching and the healing, he now moves towards Judea. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. He's moving towards the encounter with suffering and death and the resurrection. It's appropriate that we in this Lenten time, as we are on a journey in Lent, moving towards Holy Week, that we reflect upon that. And that we do so as we gather in this church and as we reflect upon the way in which we pray the Stations of the Cross, moving with the Lord in the midst of his suffering and death, and that great week in Jerusalem. And the crowds gathered to him again. It's not just a crowd, it's crowds of people are gathering to him again. The Lord draws people to him. There's something about him that leads people to want to be with him. This isn't just simply him speaking to his disciples, but whole crowds are coming to be with him. And again, as his custom was, he taught them. You know, sometimes earlier on, he in order to avoid being squished by the crowd, he gets into a boat so he pulls off a little bit so he can teach them. It's this kind of experience where people are there wanting to hear the Lord. And that's something which we need to recreate in our own experience. We need to see that again. It's like in 1 John, where we hear the excitement in the breathless opening line. 
of what we have touched with our hands, we have seen with our eyes. It is, it is Christ the Lord. That excitement of the encounter with Christ. And sometimes in our own experience, as Christians, we become dull to that. Just as we can't remember where the crucifix is in the room because we see it so often, we see it no more. So too in our life, we can become dulled to the excitement of those crowds who gathered around him and heard his teaching. There's very little teaching in the Gospel of Mark. There's a lot in the Gospel of Matthew. But he refers to what he did. And as his custom was, he taught them. Christ the teacher. We encounter him, not for his message, but for himself. But he gives us his message as well and guidance on the path. So as we begin this portion of the Gospel of Mark, let's just reflect upon that. Imagine ourselves on those crowds rushing forward to see him. It's Jesus, there he is, to come to hear him and see him, to encounter him as he speaks to us. And let the dullness of our routine Christianity, where our discipleship has become bland and tasteless, let that be swept away by the excitement of the crowds who yearned to encounter our blessed Lord. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered to him again. And again, as his custom was, he taught them. And Pharisees came up and in order to test him asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Here we have the crowds eager to hear him. And Pharisees came up and in order to test him, not in order to find out an answer to the question, but in order to test him, they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? This was the place where they were laying traps for him. Isn't that so true? So often in our relationships with others, in our conversations with others, we're not really there to listen to test, to trap, to put our own agenda on the other person. In the midst of all these crowds who were eager to meet the Lord Jesus, to see him, to touch him, their hands, to experience him. Here we have some who are coming, not with that, with open minds and hearts, but rather to test him. How often we do that, and we need to repent of that. And we've, we've got our confession day coming up pretty soon. So maybe it's good for us to say, how often in my life am I like, well, how often am I like the crowds in general who are just eager to know the Lord? Here I am, Lord, I come to do your will. And how often are we instead, in the way we relate to other people, like those within the crowd who have a hidden agenda, who want to make him trip and stumble, catch him, so often we can be that way. May the Lord forgive us for that. And Pharisees came up in order to test him, asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them, what did Moses command you? As so often is the case, our Lord doesn't answer them directly. With their question, he gives another question. And his question is, what does Moses command you? 
What is the vision of marriage which we find in Moses, and not only in Moses, but in the Torah, the sacred writings, which are there all under the sponsorship in the name of Moses? What does Moses command you? What is the law of God we have heard through Moses about the glory and the meaning of marriage? What is it there? And what do we find about this question they have asked? Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to put her away. He asks what Moses commands and they reply what Moses allowed. They're already a notch or two below what he was talking about. He wants to get to the heart of the meaning of marriage that would illuminate this deeper question. And they just simply tell him what Moses allowed, which is what I referred to before we began, Deuteronomy chapter 24, the first few verses, where there is a kind of a detailed description of all that. How often we can aim low and not seek the deeper reality, but only what does he allow? What does God allow? What is the minimum? What are the, the things which we can get away with? We need to know what God commands and not simply what God allows. And in our own life, may we do that about all kinds of things, not only the reality of marriage, but also about the whole of our life of discipleship. Thank you. <laughs> it's not every day you get a scriptural meditation which has sound effects. And I, I must say that I want to uh, congratulate Salt and Light in providing the sound effects for the, the Gospel of Mark. Thank you, thank you very much. It's beautifully done. So he said, they said Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and put her away. And here we have a marvelous word, but. You can live a life on the word but. <laughs> Jesus said to them, for your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. It was because of hardness of heart that he allowed them that. We are so hard of heart. Think of, we have ears but do not hear, we have eyes but do not see. And in the way leading up to Christ and the coming of the Lord, there are many things in the Old Testament which are there imperfectly, steps towards something greater, allowed for hardness of heart. But Christ has come now. The Lord is here. The crowds come to him. They want to hear his voice. And he says, but Jesus said to them, for your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. How often do we, in our hardness of heart, dilute the gospel that we ourselves have heard? How often do we fall short. As the Pharisees were aiming low in their question and in their answer, so Moses was 
limiting, dealing with that stage before the pure gospel of Christ our Lord. Let's ask the Lord to help us to recognize in our own lives the times we fall short, the times we are caught up ourselves in hardness of heart. Do not listen to his word. Freeze it out. Harden our hearts with so many things which are not of God and block our ability to do his will. And ask the Lord's forgiveness for that. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. It's hard for us to imagine the authority of Moses, the one who saw the Lord face to face. And he had allowed this exception in Deuteronomy chapter 24. But, says Jesus, but, he's about to change that. And this is, if anything, one more sign of who Jesus is. Remember how we hear Moses said this, but I say to you, the only one who trumps Moses is God. There's no one higher than Moses than God. And so Moses gave this exception because of their hardness of heart. And Jesus says, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And he speaks here of the wondrous harmony, complementarity, complexity, and mystery of the human condition. The very earliest portion of sacred scripture, the very first pages, male and female, he created them. This is the mystery of who we are, the complementarity of male and female. This reality written in the, in the reality of our bodies and our spirits, our minds, ourselves, coming together in the great mystery of our life. God created male and female. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. We see here the word of our Lord Jesus, going right back beyond Moses, right back to creation, to the fundamental reality of who we are as persons. We always have to go to those deepest roots, those deepest foundations, when we're dealing with the complex and profound and difficult and painful issues of life. We can't remain at the surface, at the, at the rim. We have to go down to the center. We need to go to the depths, and our Lord does that. 
right back not only to the book of Genesis, which speak to us most profoundly in those first three chapters, especially of the whole human condition, but also to give us an understanding of who we are. God made them male and female, and for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Again, I recommend everyone to read the profound meditations upon this of St. John Paul in the theology of the body, far more than just on this passage, but based upon the vision we find in Genesis and the whole spiritual tradition of our Christian faith. That richness that explains not only marriage, but also celibacy, consecrated virginity for the sake of the kingdom of God, the single life, all these things are related to our reality, to our identity as men and women, servants of the Lord, called by him to profound vocation above all his disciples, but most, many, and certainly most, called to that great sacrament of marriage. And so they shall become one. It also, of course, has pointed out that marriage, not traditional marriage, there is no such thing. Just marriage is between a man and a woman, faithful in love and indeed open to the gift of life. That is the path ahead. That is clarity, that is truth, that is depth. That is Christ, that is the Lord, that is God. That is us, it's the reality. It's not a cultural construct. It's not something somebody thought up. It's the foundation. It's the very foundation of who we are. And judges, and parliaments, and legislatures, and congresses flitter across the surface of life and are powerless to touch the foundations. Powerless to touch the foundations. And so he gives us that profound vision, not only of the sacrament of matrimony, but of our identity, our reality, our life as men and women, complementary in harmony, living before the Lord and seeking to be faithful as his disciples. Let us ask the Lord to help us to let that sink in, grow deep within our hearts, each one of us, that we may live these words which are not only, not only supernatural revelation, but are part of the very fabric of who we are at a natural level. And atheists can understand this. It does not require only revelation. It is more general than that. Sometimes people say, you know, my best friends are atheists. Well, actually, I do have a friend who's an atheist who does understand this. So let's just help pray the Lord that we can understand it ourselves, get a grip on this, and that all the people that we know in this society which spins around and around as in the first part of the inferno, around and around and around, 
that it may get a grip on what is real, get rooted in the truth, and that we might live more freely that way. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Let's pray for all who are celebrating and living the great sacrament of marriage, especially in this year when we are preparing for the Synod on the Family, that we may help people prepare for the sacrament of marriage. We had a consultation and I think many people around the world are asking, what can we do to help families to be more strong so that they may be united, that they may be life-giving? And the struggles and problems that can arise in the frailty of our lives may be overcome. So we pray for that that we may attentive, be attentive to Christ's words, and that unity may be true and real. This is why we need to look to our own marriage preparation programs. It's why we need to look to groups that help people who are married. We think of many different groups, engaged encounter, marriage encounter for those who are married, many different movements in the church are very much centered on helping people to live this, not this ideal, but this reality, which is very profound in the lives of so many people. We think of a wonderful movement called Retrovi, which is there to help people who are struggling, and which has been a great blessing in the lives of many, many people. Let's spend a moment of prayer, asking the Lord to let these great realities flourish. And may all of those who are joined together in marriage as the Lord speaks of here, may they be blessed abundantly in their lives. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. First the Pharisees outside, and now they withdraw from the crowds and have a more, as often is the case in the gospel, a more private instruction. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Notice how he is, first of all, attentive to the situation of the wife who is suffering this. And we pray that we may help people who are, find themselves in this situation with understanding and compassion. Because it is a great pain and, and a great suffering that we can reach out to people and help them. We pray for Catholic families.
family services that tries to do that. And to people who sometimes find themselves in terrible suffering. And we need to find a way to be attentive, to help them and the children who are in such suffering in a way that is compassionate, understanding, and faithful to the will of God. And they were bringing children to him and he, that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. Remember just a short time before, the people were coming, performing miracles and things and the disciples were irritated at that. Here they're bringing children to Jesus that he might touch them. So physical. The word became flesh and touched us. It is like those wonderful opening lines that I mentioned before of the first letter of John. We have touched him with our hands. We've seen him. It is the Lord. And so he brought, they were bringing children to him. Now I think it's important to remember just simply as a fact that the cuteness factor here is about zero. We think this is kind of a, after a rather severe and profound but difficult passage. Now we have kids coming and Jesus saying, oh, aren't they cute? All little kids kind of gathering around him. But actually in the time of our Lord, that wasn't the way people looked at children. Children were actually very vulnerable, but they were not particularly considered to be cute. You were a child up to 13, then you became an adult, then you got to work. And so until then, you're kind of on hold. So there's certainly, and of course, if you, you get some of the thoughts a little bit later of St. Augustine, who imagines that if a baby who is reaching up for something only had a bit more power, it might be dangerous. I think, but Augustine at times got a little carried away. But they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and that certainly is a, but the disciples rebuked them, probably because they thought they were bothering him. So often we kind of get a little ahead of, of things and interpret, over-interpret what someone else wants. But Lord says, don't worry. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant. He indignant at his disciples. Let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. They may have had no power, no influence, no voice, but to such belongs the kingdom of God, to the vulnerable, to the needy, and there was nobody more powerless in ancient times and to some degree in our own age than children. Remember that great novel, The Stone Angel, where there's a great bond develops between a little child and a very old woman because both the very old and the very young are not taken seriously by the people in the middle. And so our Lord says he takes them seriously for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. 
Let's reflect upon that. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child. What does he mean by that? Let's think about that and pray about that. Lord, what do you mean by that? But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Perhaps there is an innocence there, a questioning, a spirit of wonder, which we tend to beat out of one another as time goes on and we can become cynical. Why is this? What is that? The questing, wondering spirit, which is the most profound beginning of philosophy. Wonder. And children soak up knowledge that way. Maybe it is that sense of not being in control. I'm in charge. If we have that sense, we're not going to be able to enter the kingdom of God because we forget that our Heavenly Father is our Heavenly Father, and He is in charge. Too often we try to grab the steering wheel of our life. And they always say, if you want a joke, tell God your plans. And so it is. So maybe we need a little bit more of that kind of wonder and that sense of innocence a sense of openness to hear, to listen, that vitality, that liveliness, those are all things that we need. There may be other things too. The Lord doesn't explain exactly why. It is only if we enter, we approach as a child that we will enter the kingdom of God, but we should spend maybe the rest of this Lent trying to figure out what he means. Our Lord doesn't lay it out. He just tweaks our interest and then gets us working. This is true a lot in the Gospels, you know, like the parables. He doesn't sort of say, okay, here it is. And we have a 4,000 page parable to kind of fill in the details. He just gives them a puzzle. It's just like for that matter, thinking of children, what's the most exciting toy a child can have? What will excite a child longer? Is it a couple of blocks, a ball and a string? Or is it a computerized toy? Remember when I was a little kid, a couple of years ago when I was a little kid, <laughs> I dug up the backyard of 87 Durham Street, with little tunnels and things like that, and oh, little bridges and tunnels, and oh, I was just like a little gopher back there. My mother didn't mind because at least I wasn't on the street. <laughs> I had immense fun just using imagination, using that from within. You know, when, the, when after about two minutes, a computerized toy is boring. Well, that's true for us as well. We, to, we have other computerized toys. I got one right in here, actually. You keep getting these little, how many of our computerized toys that we seek to kind of fill things in? I'm becoming a Luddite now after having put everything on various computers and stuff and going back to pads of paper might be more sensible. 
However, that's a little extra. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them and laying his hands upon them. That's physical. They wanted him to touch them. And he took them in his arms and blessed them and put his hands upon them. The Lord God came down and hugged the little child. Almighty God did this. We are physical. And that's really what he was talking about in the previous section about male and female, he created them and you shall become one flesh. We're not angels, believe me, we're not angels. We're human, we're incarnate spirits. And that's part of the reality of life, being man or woman, being married, being celibate, being whatever, being single. It's part of what it means to be human. And the Lord touched them and blessed them and put his hands upon them. We celebrate that. That's why we, we're moving not towards the time when the suffering, death, and mind meld of God, of the Lord Jesus, but the suffering, death, and resurrection. Our very bodies are sacred, and we should celebrate that. We're not Gnostics. So let us be attentive to what does this, these words of God, of our Lord, so challenging as they are, profound. What do they say to my head that I may know his will, to my heart that I may love him, my hands that I may act rightly. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as his custom was, he taught them. And Pharisees came up and in order to test him asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to put her away. But Jesus said to them, for your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And they were bringing children to him, that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands upon them.
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death, amen. Glory be to the Father and to the Son, to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end, amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.